0: So uh, this morning is week three. Uh, Rick and I were talking, I, I kind of thought of it like a three-week mini-series, but I think Rick next week is going to sort of do part four and share his perspective and reaction to what I've been sharing and kind of give his perspective. But this series is called The Heart of the Matter, and I have wanted to build off of a series that Rick did in August that touched on these themes of soul-keeping and guarding one's heart. Um, the first few weeks, I just want to do a, a, a brief recap, because I know not everyone is here every week. Um, I've taken some uh, time off in uh, the starting in the early summer, through the summer, kind of increasing my time off, catching up on uh, unused vacation time, and then rolling things into a sabbatical, just a th- short little three-week sabbatical. And during that time off, I've kind of had three priorities. I want to rest and disengage from work. It's hard for me to do both of those. I've wanted to confront the lies, kind of get clear on what have been the lies that have crept up in my heart and mind that have brought me to this point. And uh, just begin identifying those. And I think I wrote down 26 or 27. The next part is to say, okay, what are the values and priorities that I want to be a part of my life and ministry for the next uh, 10 or 15 years? And I kind of dipped back into Rick's series and you know, cycled through that really important question, what are the practices of deep formation that I need to be more fully uh, involved in, that I need to more seriously integrate into my life? What are my goals for becoming a person of depth across all the domains of my life? Pastor, father, husband, friend, community member. And that process continues, and it'll sort of get ramped up in another week. I'll be away next Sunday. Rick will be preaching, because I'm going to be at a five-day spiritual retreat in Cochrane, which is focused on kind of helping pastors at various stages of burnout and kind of, it's kind of a recovery and focuses on spiritual direction therapy and discussions and help from a cohort, only 10 pastors from Canada and America. And part of what I've unearthed during this summer, I get to bring with kind of razor sharp intention to that time there. And So in summary, I've really just been kind of moving into and through Proverbs 3.23 from a number of different angles. Above everything else, guard your heart because out of it flows your life. That inner person, that uh, inner seat of intentionality and direction that we have to guard it. And um, sometimes that language gets massaged a little bit, nuanced in the New Testament, but it kind of dovetails with one of Jesus' questions, which serves as a warning, where He says, "You know, what good is it for someone if you were to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul or lose your soul? And so guarding our hearts and soul-keeping is something that in a fresh way, I'm sensitized to how important that is and how vigilant I have to be, just personally, so that the flow of life doesn't just sort of take me up in its stream and I just begin to operate out of a kind of cruise control, autopilot, maybe even doing good things, but I'm not actually really present in my life to God. I'm not really present to other people. I'm just kind of executing my life. And then the weeks turn into months, turn into years, and it feels, like, um, it feels like I'm a little bit more, I like the illustration someone said, you feel a bit more like the hollow Easter bunny, not the solid one. Looks great from the outside. Everyone's like, wow, shiny, looks delicious. But it's hollow on the inside. And I don't want to be a hollow pastor. I don't want to be a hollow Christian. I don't want to be a hollow in, in any of these ways. But that does demand that I um, pivot into serious soul keeping and take that more seriously as I enter into the second half of my life in ministry. Uh, last week I shared the, th- the core theological values that I that drive my life, that I want to drive my life. I talked about seeing my life as part of the bigger story of God's story, creation, fall, redemption, and glorification or consummation, that God created all things visible and invisible, it was good. But because of our rejection, um, uh, our pride in saying, thanks God, but we'll take it from here. You know, it starts in the garden with Adam and Eve, but it continues in all of our own lives. There's a fall. There's this um, mysterious catastrophe that happens where now we're, we're not just prone to doing sin, like you know bad things, so to speak. We're actually under sin's power. There's something that has taken root in our hearts and we're bent towards evil and self-centeredness. But God doesn't leave us in that state. He begins to um, organize history towards a capital R redemptive moment where the sun comes willingly, intentionally, incarnates Himself, fully God, fully human, goes to the cross, pays the price for our sins, is resurrected and vindicated as the Son of God, and then ascends and is now Lord of heaven and earth. But there's this window where new creation and redemption has started. It's been inaugurated, but not fully. So we live in this strange twinning of one moment it's like, Life is beautiful and God's doing amazing things in my life. And also there's tragedy unfolding and there's hardship. And sometimes those overlap and interlock in really conflicting ways. Because the Spirit is at work in us, the Spirit is at work on the world, and yet this age and its way are dying. And one day Jesus is going to come back and He's going to fully deal with sin. The Nicene Creed says He will judge the living and the dead. Every eye will see Him. Every life will stand before Him. Those who have bent the knee to His Lordship and cooperated with Him in this life will be gifted with eternal life. Those who said time and again, no thank you, I don't want you, I don't want this, I want to be about my own agenda, He will grant them that trajectory, which is eternal death. And that is the meta story that I always have to come back to and say, that's the story that I'm involved in. So those are the themes I have to think through as a pastor, as a husband, as an employee, as a friend. Goodness of creation, fallenness of creation. God is always redeeming, but it's always messy and never as clean as I'd like it to be. But I have an ultimate hope that this struggle doesn't last forever. Now, understanding how to live faithfully within that requires us to develop a mature theology. And you get to a mature theology, um, sort of, I'm riffing off of John Wesley's quadrilateral, which is the four dimensions that have to be held in healthy tension and and to be maturing, but not equally in the sense that they're equally authoritative. Scripture is uh, primary. and We kind of bookend all of our uh, thinking and sharing experiences and and drawing from different... Christian traditions, we allow those things to inform. uh, Just go back to the previous slide, Dan. Um, We allow those things to inform our understanding of Scripture, but we're always people of the book looking to grow and mature as disciples of Jesus. And when you have those things in place, when you are growing in your understanding of Scripture, drawing from the richest resources across many different Christian traditions, when you're applying critical thinking, and really uh, thoughtfully parsing through issues, being aware of your own experience, listening to the experiences of other people, I think along the theological spectrum, you end up in what I think is a pretty big tent, but you end up with a pretty robust, mature and maturing evangelical faith. Evangelical comes from the word evangelion, which means gospel, which is shorthand for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the promise that opens up to us for those who turn from our self-centered ways and embrace Him. And there's lots of different definitions of what it means to be an evangelical Christian. And in some places, like I mentioned, that term is really co-opted such that uh, depending on the person I'm talking to, I will either use that word or avoid that word because it's so freighted for them with certain uh, toxic meaning. But within our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, our evangelicalism is based on um, some core healthy themes of making sure that we're making the Word of God central to our identity, individually and to the church, that we're calling people to not just adopt Ten Commandments, try and be a better person, we're actually calling them to surrender their lives to Christ because people need to be born again to be um, revivified in their spirit, We're calling people to the whole mission of the church. We're not just saving souls. We're not just uh, being a light in our community by helping the poor. We're, We're not reducing the church's mission to any one priority that we see Jesus doing and the New Testament emphasizing. We're trying to hold it all together and living into a big vision. And we're learning that the church is a fellowship of believers. And I want to talk about that in a little bit. And learning to be dependent on the Holy Spirit and acknowledging the freedom that we have in Christ. We're not trying to make cookie-cutters of who I am or, or some kind of weird, idealized, perfect Christian who dresses this way and talks this way and thinks exactly this way around all these issues and articulates themselves and only ring, you know, reads King James' uh, Bibles. We understand that there is a diversity and there's health when we allow each other and give each other grace to differ in terms of how we understand and live out the Christian faith bounded by Scripture, but instead of getting nitpicky with each other, we offer grace to each other and freedom to not just, in a sense, let someone else live out their faith differently from us, but to want to learn from that and to say, thank God that we're all not just kind of trying to mimic each other in this race to the bottom of a very reductionistic kind of expression of faith. Now, all of that can seem... Very heady, and it can feel like, okay, how do I hold all of this together? For me, what's been helpful is to try and connect it to ground level everyday life by saying, What's helped me is to come back daily, weekly, monthly, and say, Jesus said the most important thing that I can do is to learn to love God heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to learn to bring all, what I'm learning in that context of that relationship to bear on my relationships with people. That's the first and second commandment. It's kind of two. Two sides of the same coin. And so what I do to make uh, my faith simultaneously simple without being simplistic and clear and challenging is to say at least on a monthly basis, where is God calling me to deepen and grow in the dimension of heart relationships? Soul, slowing down, doing practices of formation, um, reflection, meditating slowly on Scripture, on what God has done, mind, growing in my understanding of Scripture, and strength, living out my faith, giving time, energy, and money to the things of God, the things that are most important. And I just keep coming back to that every month knowing that if I can prioritize those things, and they don't have to be big grand goals. It might be something very simple like, I'm going to be intentional to really listen to one person I come in contact with it today. Really listen. And not be looking at them while I'm thinking about what's happening an hour from now. But really be present. Um, that's been transformative for me. It's helped me to develop an integrative, holistic faith. It's helped me to learn to love God courageously and faithfully. And it's I hope, helping me to love people skillfully and graciously. Okay, I know that's a lot. And I don't have too much more to say uh, this week because this review kind of builds and I want to um, let that first part do some of its work. I don't want any of this to be understood as some kind of big religious to-do list. I am really am trying to share with you what, God is clarifying in my heart what I want to commit to and this morning what I want to, I think, try and point to is how I anticipate this playing out in the life of our church or how I'd like it to. We're not deviating from our mission to love Jesus and love people and transform lives. This isn't some big reveal of some gimmicky, oh, this is our new motto and mantra and mission statement. But I do want to nuance um, our mission to love Jesus, love people, and transform lives with something that I think is really important for me. I will only speak for myself. It's important for me to think carefully and deeply about And I want this to be the anchor for me this year. And that is, I want to experience, and to whatever extent I'm able, I want to help us experience wholehearted and whole person transformation and maturity in Christ. I want us to experience wholehearted. That means like it's it's a, it's not mechanical, it's not we're not just going through the motions. There's a authenticity, there's a there's a realness to it and whole person transformation and maturity in Christ. Now to that end, that's that you know, we'll we'll talk in the weeks to come and it'll flavor everything that we do, what that looks like. But it's going to at least require a few changes at kind of a higher level. The first is we are sort of elevating and expanding Rick's role within our church. He's going to, well, he has moved into kind of associate pastor role of, we haven't worked out the cool title, but kind of like student ministry and spiritual formation are sort of the two things that we want to be empowering him uh, into. He is ready for a greater leadership role. And part of our role as a church, my role as his kind of senior pastor, is to provide opportunities for him to grow and to use those gifts and to lean into areas that he is especially fruitful. And I think this role, which we'll share with you in more detail uh, in the weeks ahead, really will help Rick to further those gifts, deepen them, and bless our community because when we allow pastors to do what God is blessing and there's an uncommon fruitfulness in an area, kind of like everybody wins. And... uh, at a very high level, two of the areas that we see tremendous fruitfulness uh, fruitfulness emerging from Rick's ministry and influence in our church is kind of like teaching, helping to form us into um, a, a more attentiveness to the soulful practices of Christianity and uh, working with young adults. So we're shifting him into more of those areas. He'll now be on like every six weeks. He's like locked in to preach on Sunday. He's going to be helping to work with me to craft the the entire Sunday morning experience to be more formative. And he's going to be spending way more time with young adults in this church, across our churches, and in this community. We talked about on Thursday night at the meeting, I know not everyone was there. He's had Selkirk College sort of badgering him for years now to be a community liaison to come and uh, help with their students and be a presence, even though they they know he's a Christian, they know he's a pastor, pastor, but they've been inviting him and he hasn't been able to do it because of the other demands that have been on his plate. And uh, we want to go through doors that God is not only opening but rolling out the red carpet. The second thing is we're going to have a renewed focus, especially through Rick's leadership and hopefully things that I'm learning from him and learning as God is teaching me things, a renewed focus on formative discipleship. I really want us to be a healthy church that is growing and practicing proven ways of actually deepening our transformation and maturity in, in, in Christ. Sometimes evangelical Christianity can get sucked into like the flavor of the month, the tips and tricks, the little hype-up stuff, the gimmicky stuff. It's well-intended. But I think where Rick and I's heart is moving towards is to say, let's look at some of these deep Christian traditions And to recognize that when it comes to abiding in Christ and growing in Him, learning to love God well, love other people skillfully, there's not a lot that's new under the sun. So it would behoove us to just slow down and to draw from the deepest wells of Christian maturity and experience and say, this is maybe it's gonna be a slow burn. It's not gonna provide instant, right? For some of you, you did that exercise with Rick and you're like, that was lame. I didn't get anything out of that. That's okay. Right? It's a, you, you, you've, got a, you've got a really atrophied imagination in some ways for, for that kind of prayer engagement. But there's more to even corporate formation than just singing songs and listening to a message. Those are awesome things. Worship, word, awesome. But it's, there's, there's a bigger experience that we can have together. So, Rick's new role, renewed focus on formative discipleship. But I want to acknowledge three distinct threats that jeopardize that vision. Low numbers, low energy, low giving. So the first is low numbers. In general, in 2019, we were averaging 90 people on a Sunday. Right now, it's about 50. Even the people that are coming are coming less frequently. So in 2019, if people came twice a month, they're coming every... tracking but i'm guesstimating every four to six weeks if you came every few months now you're coming twice a year so the sunday engagement is lowered i'm going to say something that is not politically correct to say (laughs) but not in a social sense in a church sense and i'm there's a lot i could say i believe this strongly but i just want to hold it and let the awkwardness of the statement do the work if you are a serious Christian, that on, then on balance, corporate worship, corporate gathering, gathering with other Christians in your area to worship God and learn together is the most important priority of your week. If you're a serious Christian, on balance, I'm not talking about the, the edge cases or what about an emergency, or not, or illness. I'm saying on balance, I'm not sure how to read the Gospels and then the New Testament instructions and not arrive at the conclusion that corporate worship is the most important priority of your week. And that means we are going to be calling you for increased consistency. Some people think about consistency on Sunday really, and I get it, through a self-serving lens. Well, I don't know, like I, can, I can miss a lot of weeks and I seem fine. Like it's not about us in that sense. You don't know what your presence is going to do, the opportunities it's going to open up, the comfort that it's going to provide from someone else. So even if, you sh- even if I show up on a Sunday and I engage and sing and chat with a few people and I leave and I'm like, eh. I don't know what my presence meant to someone else. I don't know how, that was- I don't know how God was using it. But we have to understand that our presence matters to each other. I'm going to be encouraging you, wherever you're at, and this isn't, again, I don't want, the goal isn't to like, you know, shame and guilt people into just you know, showing up for church and, and marking off attendance. But remember one of our values as an evangelical church is that we are a fellowship of believers. That's what the church is. You can't be a fellowship if you're not with other people. And fellowship on a Sunday morning won't really work if our, attention, if our attendance is so sporadic that we have a very thin... If we're all here all the time connecting with each other, there's still thin edges of relationships. because You can't be everyone's best friend. But if you keep sort of multiplying out inconsistency, then we don't have fellowship. You can't get fellowship on Zoom. You can't get fellowship with virtual church. Those are nice, nice backups. But like this morning, it's not working. Boom. Off the table. Showing up matters. Showing up in person matters. I'm going to be challenging you to increase your consistency. If if you're coming every three months, try and come once a month. Corporate gathering with other Christians is your most important priority. Low energy, number two. Someone asks, how our church is doing? And I've now landed on this. I think it's a good encapsulation. I said, our church right now feels like a church plant without any energy. It's like a church plant in that everything has kind of gone and we're starting up. And we've got lots to do as it relates to getting help for Sunday school or starting small groups or people getting involved or helping with coffee or sound or offering reflections. There's lots of opportunities to get involved, but there's a weariness. And normally when you plant a church, everyone's excited and they're climbing over each other to be like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. I'd love to do that. There's this is grand vision. There's excitement. And I understand we're coming out of a pandemic uh, time where there's weariness. I feel that too. And people think, oh, I've lost my mojo. I don't know. And I wanna, what I want to challenge us to recognize is that we haven't lost our mojo in the sense that it's like it's gone. What we've done is we've inhabited a pattern, maybe for the right reasons, We've inhabited a pattern of disconnection and isolation. And part of the weariness, part of the, uh, part of the lack of spiritual vibrancy is because we're not spending enough time around other people. We're not serving with other people. We're not connecting with a group. We're not showing up on Sunday. We've sort of been bent into this mode of what's the least amount of interaction that I could get away with doing to facilitate my life? Now, originally, that was built around kind of social protections, but now it's just sort of settled. And it's really easy to say, mm, i become much more intentional about curating my life, curating my Christian community. And that's not spiritually healthy for us. We need people to step up. And that is happening. There are people... Who are saying, I'm ready. I'm feeling that push. I'm feeling that pull to start something. And I'm thankful for those people. I'm thankful for people like Carrie uh, Marslin, who approached me and said, I would like to, I think I, I need and want to start a women's Bible study. So Carrie, I want you to come up and share a little bit about that and how people can get involved.
1: Oh, oh, All <clears> right, <throat> am I on? Okay, so yeah, I've been <clears throat> feeling really led um, coming out of the pandemic that uh, I just need other people to do my walk with, um, and I'm really been I've been feeling led to start a daytime ladies Bible study. Um, I want it to be like a weekly study so we can get momentum, we can really get to know each other, um, and I'm planning to do this on Fridays from 2 to 4, right here in the sanctuary. And I just want to, I've got a few ideas of what to study. We'll probably just start with a, a video series. So it's, um, yeah, the videos are about 15 minutes long. We'll watch them. There's no homework. There's no prep. Um, and we can just see who, com- or I'll just see who comes and what you want. Maybe we can go deeper into a heavier study. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the women's video studies are a little, light, I find. Um, I don't love them, but maybe we'll just pick it apart and criticize it, and uh, it'll just give us a, like, laugh at them, but it'll give us a starting point, and then if we, I'd love to hear what you've been reading, what you've been studying, what's been making a difference in your life, and and we can go from there. Maybe, hopefully, we'll get into something deeper and more meaningful. Um, Yeah, and I just want it to be a place where you can come, bring your struggles, bring your joys, just I really want to learn. I think it was been, it has been formative in my faith over the years to learn from other Christians what you do daily um, for your spiritual um, f- like infilling yourself and ho- how to live as a Christian in, in our day-to-day lives. That's what I really want to get at and be inspired by and learn. Um, I know what I do, but I'd love to learn what other people do and and grow in my own faith. Um, so the study that I've chosen, I, that we'll start with, might be horrible, but it's, um, I watched a few episodes, and it's called Free of Me, and I, I just think, um, I want, I want to focus on, like, our society is so much about self, you know, start with yourself, self-care, and then go out from there, and that, part of that is important, but I want to learn, how do we do that as, in a Christian way, um, and, get, and, and getting, just getting ourselves out of the way, mostly, and focusing on God. And uh, anyway, I'm just hoping that a lot of you ladies will join me Fridays. So starting October 7th, so you've got a little bit of time to think about it, see how your fall schedule is coming together. Hopefully plug this time in there. Fridays every week from 2 to 4. Um, here we'll put tea on and, and watch a video and just share and discuss how how we're living life as a Christian in this difficult world. (laughs) Anyway, thanks.
0: There are sign-up tables after the service to serve, to connect. There's a sign-up for a small group. You want to get involved in a small group. I'm leading one on Monday nights here, 645 to 8 It's open for anybody to drop in. We just talked about the previous Sunday and share and learn and grow together. We had our first one last week. It was awesome. We'll be meeting tomorrow night. Carrie's, there's other small groups that are coming online. Some are uh, for the fall. Some are already full, but uh, we'll be connecting with those leaders and advertising those in the weeks ahead to say, hey, you know, we're we're not a big enough church that we can offer like, oh, is there like a small group for retired lawyers between the, you know, this time? (laughs) Okay, so, you know, we can only do so much but we're gonna provide opportunities. And it's really important for you to be involved and not just on the receiving end, but also in the giving end. And lastly, low giving. So low numbers, low energy, and the third challenge is low giving. Uh, we're more or less on pace for a twenty dollars to $25,000 deficit for this operating year ending in December. We have no backup plan anymore. We have no money in the bank. That all went into the ramp. So we're staring down the barrel of like, what do we cut? Uh, SLT's meeting after the service to move into those discussions in an intentional way. Not too many options before us, uh, really only four. We inform the congregation, which we will, not just today, but in a, uh, a follow-up email. And we pray, and people become more intentional with giving, and we kind of stabilize things. Um, number two, We shift to become a one-pastor site. It's just not tenable for Rick and I to be employed full-time at our site. Uh, We keep both pastors and strip all the other supports and external supports. We don't give to missions. We put that on people. We uh, don't have a janitor who helps clean up. Rick and I do that. We just do everything, and we hold that for a year and see where that brings us. Uh, Or... We shift to supporting Rick and I becoming bivocational. So we'd work uh, reduced hours, reduced number of days. We pick up that work somewhere else. All those things are on the table for me. Um, And we're going to be talking about those. Each are uniquely challenging. Each have pros and cons. Um, But we're trying to face our finances and giving levels realistically. We've cut pretty dramatically from our budget over the last two years. We're pretty lean and mean right now, I would say. But we're still... The, the giving is, continues to, to decline. And so we're just trying to hope for the best, but also be wise as stewards and say, okay, what, maybe where is God leading us to do something new or to radically adjust things? Now, for some people, and I'm just going to end here, for some people, they're going to hear some of these challenges, the low numbers, and the low energy, and the low giving, and what they've thought up to now is, well, it's not great right now, but like we're gonna like come out of things, and we'll kind of, we'll get back to normal. Like to, we'll get back to like 2019. We just need to like wait for the mandates to lift. They lifted. We need to wait for the summer. The summer say so wait for the fall. I think it's important for us to reckon with the fact that like we're not going back. We're not going back to 2019. I want you to look around. Like seriously, just look around at the people in this room. I know not everyone who's regularly here is present, but I just look around. Don't have to worry about it being awkward. This is it. Like this is us. If you're not regularly re-engaged in our church at this point, it's because they don't want to be. We have to go forward. That's gonna be disappointing. Maybe that's frustrating, maybe it's shocking but it's something we need to reckon with. And take advantage of the opportunities before us. Because I actually am seeing an increase and an uptick in intentionality and investment and involvement. I'm seeing an uptick in new people. feels like every week there's new people want, coming into our church and saying like, oh, I'd like to be a part of this church. That's awesome. I'm seeing an uptick in people reclaiming their faith and rediscovering their faith or asking serious questions about What does it mean to become a Christian? And really wrestling with that for a long time, really counting the costs. I'm not sure if I'm ready to be a Christian yet, but I'm really into this, and I'm thinking through it. That is so encouraging. There are absolutely real concrete challenges before us, but as Grace Kraszkowski always reminds me, there's always giants in the Promised Land. And with God's help, we can do hard things. And with God's help, we can do eternally important things. And we can build from here. It might look different than how it looked two or three years ago, but it could actually be a build and a rebuild that allows us to more fully live into that vision of a trans- transformation and maturity in Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not overcome it. And I'm comforted by that because it's His to build. I am just... Here to cooperate and do my part. You're here to cooperate and do your part. The ends that He's leading us towards, that's for Him to figure out. But we need to cooperate so that we grow into a church that is wholehearted and whose whole personhood is being transformed with a love and devotion to Christ. And so that is the vision that I'm going to be chasing. And honestly, to me, it doesn't matter how many are coming with me? The numbers don't matter. That's the vision that I'm chasing. And my question to all of us this morning is who is coming with me?